so when we do not heal from those places, what happens is we become a generation of people who raise a new generation of brokenness. And now they're either going to have to spend, you know, uh, 10 years figuring out where the pieces broke so that they can change that. Or they're going to repeat that same cycle because no one was able to teach them how to heal or how to recognize their hurt. And so we operate in that hurt, in that brokenness, in that pain. And we're cutting not only ourselves, but we're cutting those around us too. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with certified life purpose coach, international speaker, self-awareness expert, and author, Shelly Mache. Shelly shares insight into how she grew into multiple roles that she now thrives in, the importance of earnestly and actively pursuing and achieving happiness, and how experiences and behavior can transfer across generations, whether intentional or not. I love Shelly's wisdom, purpose, and energy, and I loved our conversation that I'm really excited to share with you today. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Shelly Mache. How are you doing today? Good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, I'm very excited to have you. So, Shelly, you are a certified life purpose coach, an international speaker, self-awareness expert, and an author. Um, you've got a few different books that you're involved with. From what I was from what I was seeing, it looked like two that you authored on your yes. own entirely, and mm-hmm. then one where you're like a co-author and kind yes. of a compilation. Um. So the books that you've written just on your own, 70 Days of, of Happy, Life is Better When You Smile, and Power Her Minds, Reflective Thoughts Designed for the Everyday Power Woman and Her Legacies. Yes. Um, and then and then you would also, the compilation book is Women Inspiring Nations. Yes. So you're pretty busy as a writer uh, for someone who's also coaching and doing all this stuff. And, and I want to talk about all that definitely, but I want to start with just who is Shelly? Like, where are you from? What was your childhood like? You know, did, did we, yeah, just, just that kind of stuff. So we, we just gonna, we just gonna start there. We're just gonna go. Yep. <laughs> just gonna jump in. I am, a, I am from Los Angeles, California, born and raised, still there today, hanging out in, in sunny LA. I was raised by a single mom who was um, very, very loving, very kind, very stern, who had a, a very, um, who had a, a passion for learning. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what she, one of the things that she instilled in me, never to stop learning. And so that's one of the things that I've carried with me my my entire life is something that I've instilled in my children to always be open to learning things new, to never stop learning, to, to find out more about ourselves because we change as people. We change, we grow, we have different life seasons. So that's one of the biggest things about about me that I really enjoy being able to to just learn new things and see new things and sometimes even have a little adventure. Not often, not often though. <laughs> <laughs> that's a rare. That's a rarity. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, until I started working with a life coach, I had never really thought about it in context of my own self. But she kind of really pointed out and emphasized that for for me personally, and I think this is not unique to me. 
um, because it sounds like you're maybe the same way, but curiosity is just a really big motivator. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm curious about something, I'll just kind of go for it really without a lot of reservations. Whereas if I'm not that curious and I try and pursue something, I'll find reasons that I'm not into it or Mm -hmm. I'm anxious about this or that. Is that true for you as well? That, I think that is that can kind of almost be across the board because those things that we really find ourselves being interested in, curious about, peaking something, mm-hmm. those are the things that we end up walking towards, even if those things are just self. And that's one of the, the major things, you know, with me being a life purpose coach is where's the curiosity and the peak about self. So many times we're being we're being taught that when we take things and learn things about ourselves that there's some line of selfishness. And so we're really in an era now in the world where we're kind of retraining ourselves with self-care, with understanding who you are, with you know, simply making time, setting boundaries, all of these things. Though it's been around forever, we're really just now taking on the fact that it's okay for us to learn new things about us and set and set up those boundaries. It's okay to be curious about you and find out who you are. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's so fascinating what you're talking about there and and something that's really stuck out to me. It really just keeps showing itself in different ways, but it's, it's this almost like, like this dual nature of things. So it's like, if you want to be a better person for those that you care about, that you love, then you actually have to care for yourself, which sounds like you said, some people call it selfish. Mm-hmm. It sounds like opposite, but then simultaneously, like sometimes if you want to feel better yourself, one of the easiest shortcuts to that is to help someone else. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? it's and interchangeable it, because yeah. as, as humans, we really do. We benefit from one another. We benefit from each other's thoughts. We benefit from each other's knowledge. We benefit from each other's wisdom. We benefit from each other's touch, each other's companionship, you know? So even when we try to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this alone. I'm going to be alone. I don't need anyone else. We are literally going against what we naturally need, mm-hmm. which is a support system, emotionally, um, physical touch, being able to interact. with one. These are the things that build us. So it's like it's interchangeable. I have to care for me. I have to love me. I have to set my own boundaries. I have to see, you know, the person who I was created to be in exchange. I also need to be a person who's able to give that to somebody else because then that gives back to me. Isn't it weird? It's, it's- it's a full circle and it's, it's like a lot you to juggle. Do one almost without the other. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, that's exactly right. And that's what I meant by the duality of it, because it's like you you're exactly right. It, it's I mean, the word that's used a lot to describe it, I think, is balance. And the problem with the word balance is it implies that there's like this perfect state of evenness where both sides are perfectly equal. And I don't know that that's ever achievable, really. First of all, let me just tell you, it's false, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that we talk about balancing our lives. And I think a lot of times when people are talking about balancing, they're talking about having having an equal side of, you know, of, of all parts of our life that we can control so that we're not spinning out of control. So in that instance, I understand that. But what happens is when we don't allow the real idea of balance, which is 
sometimes depending on my life season, if I'm a single mother, then guess what? 60% of my life or 70% of my life is revolved around being that single parent, giving to that child. Um, 20% is going to be revolved around me actually having time to sit with friends or do this or have some self-care. I, I can't give 50 and 50 to that. There's no such thing. But is my life balanced? Yes. By understanding the season of mm -hmm. life that I'm in, I understand which part needs a little higher percentage and which part I can, I, you know, I can put down a little bit, but still maintain attention to it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because really what, what we're talking about is, is it's, it's not about holding things in equal proportion, but exactly. it's also not about completely neglecting one side of the other. Right? Exactly. Like and that is where the true balance comes from. Me understanding what is my life season right now? What do I give this amount of attention to? And what do I give this amount of attention to? Never losing who we are. Because when you get to separate and everything, if you find that, you know, after you've given out all of your percentages, there's no percentage for you, we've done something wrong. And we need to reevaluate <laughs> and re quote quote balance this thing again yeah yeah no i completely agree and and the other thing that i think is so interesting about that and i promise we're not going to go down a a news or political conversation but my point is just simply that in our current culture there's there's so much divisiveness and so much of that comes from people wanting to to plant themselves firmly in like I believe this one thing and it's the only way to think about that. And, and that's it. It's decided, right? It's binary. And I think that that ties into what you're talking about in so far as that almost nothing in life seems to be one extreme or the other. Now, that being said, there are some things, right? Because to say nothing is, it's its own version of an extreme. So of course there are some things that are just awesome or some things that are just vile, but most things exist somewhere in a spectrum, right? There's somewhere to this idea of balance that you're talking about where it's like maybe it's not only one way or the other and it's mm -hmm. actually more somewhere in the middle you and know, that seems to be i am always. i'm more of a person i have strong beliefs in what i believe i believe in what i believe in but here's the problem why why people can't understand me sometimes because in those core values i have a gray and that doesn't mean that I don't stand by what I what I believe. What it means is I have an ear for what someone else may disagree with as far as my belief and my standard and my moral is. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I stand by it. But there is a gray area because I can understand your view or I can hear your view or I can go, oh, you know what? I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, I see where you're coming from. I see why you're challenging what I believe. I'm still standing on it. I still believe that, but I can still be open and go, oh, okay. And I think sometimes people have, have a problem with that because they want you to be A or B. Right. And I believe in all of the alphabets, Walker, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it ties back into what you were talking about. The very, you know, the very first thing you said, which is, is this mindset of learning right? Mm -hmm. Because in order to learn, you have to be willing to accept new information and yes. ideas. And it doesn't mean that, to your point also, that you just roll over and everything that you hear is now fact. But there ha again, there has to be this, some nuance there, this balance mm -hmm. of like, sometimes I'm going to filter it out. And sometimes I'm going to make space to hear that. And sometimes it changes my mind. And maybe most times it doesn't, but there's, there's room. 
And here's the thing, though, but it's okay either or. This sentiment that we have to be, you know, rock solid over here and you or you have to be rock solid over there. Mm -hmm. It's okay for something to change my sentiment. Mm -hmm. It's okay if it doesn't change it. Why do we have to choose one or the other? Why can't we say this is where I stand and that's great and that's wonderful because that's working for me. But, oh, okay. I see where you're standing. I see why you stand there. Great. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Why can't we give and take like that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, I, hopefully, <laughs> maybe maybe when social media ends, we'll, we'll get there or something. I don't know. <sighs> it wouldn't be great. <laughs> wouldn't it be great if everybody just got there? <laughs> right. And we're like, so, and we stand on that. How about we stand on that, Walker? We're going to stand on the fact that we can, <laughs> we can wing and, and, you know, and wind ourselves. Both, both yes, ways. Yeah. No, yep. I, that's that. Yeah. I agree entirely. <laughs> so as a, as a little girl, do you, do you think about it? And I don't even know if, if like, I don't know how recent the profession of coaching really is. I mean, now it's pretty prevalent, but I feel like maybe 20 years ago, not as much, but I mean, so as a child, are you thinking of, Maybe it wasn't called coaching, but counseling, therapist, mm-hmm. social work type mm-hmm. stuff at a young age. Not, as you say, not coaching because right. that wasn't that wasn't the thing. And really, as I was growing up, was I thinking about that that terminology? No, but I was that person that people would come to. I was mm-hmm. the person with the sound mind. What Shelly was thinking about being as an A list actor, honey. My name was supposed to be in lights. Okay. <laughs> That didn't happen. <laughs> the only Fair time enough. my name is in lights is when I write it and put a flashlight on it. That's yeah. the only time. <laughs> That's still a good time, though. But that is still a good time. And I still love to act and I still get on stage. But I was that person that everyone came to. I was that person. Um, I was very oratorical. I, I did many contests. Um, I, I I won many oratorical contests and things of that nature. Um, I was always a person who spoke very well, who enjoyed memorization. So all of these things. And it just so happened that when I became a little bit older, I was a single mother and I put together a um, a group for single for single parents, mainly for single moms, but for single parents. And it was for us to come together, for to give encouragement, to pour life, you know, into us as single parents, because single parenting can be rough. And it's just that every single journey had to do with me pouring back, showing someone how to do something, or this is what I did to help me get to this point. Let me show you now, and maybe it will help you. And one day it dawned on me. Girl, people are getting paid. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> Why not Shelly? Why not Shelly? What are you doing, lady? <laughs> and I decided, you know, I'm going to go and get certified because I really want to be able to understand even my own craft. It goes back to what I said about learning. Yes, it's a gift. God has given me a gift of speaking. God has given me a gift of understanding. God has given me a gift of being able to to see people, like really see you and be able to speak into your life. But that doesn't mean that it didn't need to be cultivated. Mm. You know, that doesn't mean that I I still didn't need to, to, to go to a class, to understand, to get a certification, to do my part. And so I, I said, I want to, I want to be in a position where I can really give back to the women that God places in my life. And in order to do that, 
I need to walk that path. And they need to know that they can trust the information that they're getting from me because I did the work. Right. Right. And I mean, not to, not to, I, I just literally again, though, it's different. It's not emotional work in the same way that we were talking about earlier, but again, like you improve yourself in order to be better positioned to help others. Right. Like exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Theme again and again, it's, it's, it's that circle that we're talking about. I oh, want to be able to be, to be my best for someone else, but how, how can I become my best for them until I understand my best for me? Right. And that's in every facet. It's not just about the emotional side. It's also about the professional side, you know, business. It's about relationship. All of it. It's across the board. Mm -hmm. So when you decide to start coaching, do you, do you have in your mind that you will also be this prolific writer eventually, or, or is that much later that that comes in? Absolutely <laughs> not. But in all honesty, again, going back to childhood, I used to write short stories. Mm. So I spent time writing short stories. I've always been a person who journaled. You know, so this has always been my life. So now, you know, we're in an era where everyone talks about journaling. Honey, Shelly been journaling since seven. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I ended up, I never wanted to be a writer because I always understood that writing was my was my getaway. It was mm. my my freedom. It was my opportunity to allow myself to to dream, to imagine. And so for me taking that and making it a profession, it took away from, from the peace that came from it. I didn't want a pressure attached mm -hmm. to that because then it was no longer valuable to me. But what happened is I ended up doing a happy challenge and I'm pretty much a, a pretty laid back, happy person. You know, not too much bothers me unless I can't find a remote. Now that's a mm. problem. They <laughs> <laughs> need a little beeper on it. <laughs> and you know after i completed it i thought to myself wow these are simple principles but they're principles that we don't really think about a lot of times because we just go through life so much like okay whatever whatever we don't stop to really understand the small things that really contributes to our happiness and so i began writing those things down and after i finished that challenge i said i wonder you know, if other people feel the way I do, I wasn't an unhappy person, but just applying just these few things, it made me more cognitive of what are you saying? What are you doing? Who are the people you have around you? You know, what type of example are you? Have you set your family um, up, you know, for when you when you're no longer here? And those are the things that I wanted to be able to give back, that there are 70 things in here that if you decide I'm going to put this into practice, there's no way that you won't be able to walk in a happier life. It's just no way. Now, if you're not walking happier, you didn't put it to use. That That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you didn't find no joy afterwards, that was on you. <laughs> right, right. So in so so I'm understanding correctly then in, in 70 days of happy, life is better when you smile. What readers can expect to find then is, is kind of just a, a daily anecdotes for. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a daily it's a daily journal. So it's filled with some of my um, some of my life experiences. One of the chapters specifically speaks about being happier means being able to forgive. And mm. that's something that we don't talk about. Unforgiveness leaves you in bitterness, anger, you know, resentment. These are all things that strip you away from the joy 
that that belongs to you. But in that, I speak about my natural father of me having to forgive him for not being in my life. Because what happened is I dealt with a lot of self-esteem issues, relationship issues. I didn't really understand the male-female dynamic because I didn't have that presence there. And so I literally had to go back. And this was after he had passed away. I literally had to go back and forgive him for not understanding how to contribute to me. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, there again, an example, forgiveness, that's one that really sticks out with me where it, on on a paper, we'll say forgiveness is like telling the other person it's okay, but that's not really the value of it. It's, it's you not carrying that burden around. No, because regardless, I, if I, I never spoke to my, to my biological father again, because he passed away. So me being able to say to you, oh, I forgive you. That's not the antidote. Mm -hmm. It's me being able to accept that this is who this person was. They were unable for whatever reason, whatever it was, they were unable to give me what I needed to become the adult you know, that, that I should have been able to depend on that particular person. My, my experiences should have been, I can depend on you to help me become a functional, healthy adult. That was stripped away when that person wasn't there. The forgiveness comes with me saying, that's who that person was. I can't change who he was and I am not at fault for their actions. So right. I forgive you for not being able to be that person to me that I needed you to be. And then I have to remind myself of that forgiveness because the next day I woke up like, oh, you know? <laughs> right. So the truth and reality is when you decide to forgive somebody, we like to make, like to turn it into flowers and roses. Oh, I forgive you now. I'm going to go skipping through, you know, the lilies. That's not true. Forgiveness is a process. It is mm. a process that I had to remind myself of and go, nope. I, you're becoming angry. You're becoming resentful. Remember, his actions were not your fault. And he was only able to do whatever he was able to do, whether that's he was irresponsible because he chose to be irresponsible or he didn't know how to be, whatever it is, that has nothing to do with you. Take mm -hmm. the lessons because even in his absence, there's still lessons. Mm -hmm. I'm still a part of this, this person physically, emotionally, there are ties. But forgiving you means accepting not your decisions, but understanding that they were your decisions and I'm not at fault for any of them. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think that that's incredibly powerful. And I, I'm, I, you know, in my own um, learning in these last few years here of in personal development and, and, and that sort of thing, um, it, it it seems like that's a, a, a common thing that I've come to is this idea that like when someone is acting in some way that I might think is negative, like it, it's probably because of their own, they don't know how to resolve themselves, right? Like more than them having some vendetta against me. And they might even think in their head that that's what it is, but really deep down, it's like, they don't understand something about themselves. I saw something on your website. Um, the, and I, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was talking basically about generation, generational broken homes, right? Mm -hmm. Pro generational problems. Yes. Charlemagne the God, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yes, He's a, a radio am. host. He has, a, a, and I don't know if this is his quote, but I've heard him say it on many occasions where he'll say, hurt people, hurt people. Absolutely. Right? 
can you just can you talk about about that some absolutely i'll even take myself for for an example as i've said you know growing up without my biological father i did have a stepfather but my mother got married when i was close to a teenager so any ideologies and in, in things that i had they had already developed at that time and i was already stuck in my own mind of of what the male female dynamic was, you know, the position that a father had in my life, in my opinion, no longer was needed. And so even with myself, with that type of mind frame, with that type of ideology, I'm actually working out of brokenness. Mm. I'm saying outwardly, this is something I don't need. I've survived all this time. You know, um, I've I've taken on the broken mentality that obviously I wasn't good enough to be loved because this person left me. So I've taken on that brokenness, even though on the outside is seen as strength and you get things done and you're powerful. I'm actually operating in brokenness. And so now when I have children, what I, what they see is this woman who's, oh, she's so strong. She can handle anything. She never lets anyone, you know, um, tell her anything. She'll put you in your place. So now I'm teaching you to operate out of the brokenness that I've poured into you. So mm-hmm. you didn't even, you, you didn't even get a head start mm-hmm. because I'm raising you through my brokenness. So the strength that you see it's just a front. It's in, dare I say, it's a lie. Right. Because it's not coming from a place of, um, of wholeness. It's coming from a place of protection. And what is it that I'm protecting? I'm protecting the pieces that are broken. Right. So that no one will crush them more. And so when we do not heal from those places, what happens is we become a generation of people who raise a new generation of brokenness. And now they're either going to have to spend, you know, uh, 10 years figuring out where the pieces broke so that they can change that. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to repeat that same cycle because no one was able to teach them how to heal or how to recognize their hurt. And so we operate in that hurt, in that brokenness, in that pain. And we're cutting not only ourselves, but we're cutting those around us too. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 uh, honestly, with some of the stuff I've learned recently, it's kind of, it's like, how did we manage to survive just as a species? I know. Because, because no one was talking about this in like 1940, right. you know what I mean? Really? Like, <laughs> like you're, this but, but you're so furthest. right. But this is why so many, this is why so many men and women were, were depressed. They were yep. literally just walking through life. And one of the things that I'm really glad about is that we're talking about things that we couldn't talk about before. We didn't talk about this when I was growing up. I, I grew up in the eighties. We don't talk about, about this kind of stuff. Why are you depressed for what, you know, what's going on? There is a real there. There's a real issue. You know, um, our mental health is real. Taking care of that mental health is real. So there are things that we just didn't talk about. We push it under the rug. You know why? Because we were taught you move on. You keep going. You know, you you have a family. Men, you get out there. You work. You take care of your family. Men don't cry. So, you know, there are all these things. And they and what they did is they taught us out of frustration, out of 
anger sometimes. You taught us out of your own emotional brokenness. And now here it is, you know, two, three generations later, and we're actually paying (laughs) emotionally for what our mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and great, what they weren't able to give to us. It is not their fault. Mm -hmm. They weren't able So that's one of the things that I'm so glad about now is that we have more open conversations. We talk about taking care of ourselves emotionally. We talk about our life purpose, what we've been called to do, um, how to enjoy happiness. These are things that we're talking about, things that we didn't know before so that we can create a new generation. And hopefully with that generation, there'll be more people that are whole, that are healed, that are walking in that healing and who really are walking as the person they were called to be. also saw on your site that you've um, received recognition for for some different things work that you've done with children mm-hmm. and you know I think that and I mean obviously physical education was in school even in the 80s and 90s when I was a kid but I remember like when um, Obama was president Michelle Obama his wife was really pushed hard on this like getting kids to be physically active mm-hmm. right so this idea that like I mean, you know, every adult, you know, knows about going to the gym, whether they like it or don't or do or don't or whatever. But it's like, well, that doesn't actually have to start when you're 20, right? Like we can actually really try and instill these values in Mm -hmm. in young people. And then that carries over into their adult lives. But I don't know that we're really there yet with, because to your point, all this, you know, physical, the gym's been around for 20 years, but this mental health stuff is pretty new for adults. And so I have to assume that for children, it's even more on the back burner, right? Because they can. I, I think so. <laughs> you know, I yeah. think so. Which is why I'm so glad that we're changing this dynamic. I come from the background of children should be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. I think that that is the most horrible thing, right? <laughs> that you could ever say about children. <laughs> but, but that's the era that I was raised in. That right. when adults come, you as the child, you remove yourself. You know, and I and and there's still some things I believe about that. I believe in adult conversation. I don't believe that children should be involved or sitting under adults when they're having conversation. But I believe the connotation, though, was that someone comes and then you're you're just made invisible. You leave. But I think there's a better way. It's fine for children to be to be removed when adults are there and adults are having conversation. But how about we start it with, hey, you know, hey, Jessica, how are you? How have you been? How, how's things in school? Da, 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 da. OK, it was good talking to you. I'm going to go on and have a conversation with your mom now. OK, that's completely different. Right. 
then when an adult comes in, I immediately leave. Like there's something wrong, you know, with the presence of that child. And so I believe that, again, we're relearning some things. When I raised my daughter, that was not a part of their upbringing at all. Don't you ever say to me, children should be seen and not heard that, you know, I will have a whole spiel for you. (laughs) Excuse me, my children. (laughs) Because my whole thing was children are people. Children have emotions. Children have feelings. Children have a heart. And it is our job to help them learn how to navigate all of those things and how to express those things in a proper and healthy manner, not to to toss, you know, to, to toss them to the to the side. What's going on here? <laughs> right, right. Well, and, you know, something I've really been learning a lot about recently is just it's and it, it's almost like a cliche about therapy where it's like, oh, everything is your mom or your dad's fault or something. Right. And And that's not my point. But. The truth is, is that when when a person is a child, that's when their mind is most impressionable because that's when they're learning everything. Absolutely. (laughs) So so to think that that is the time that could be dismissed and like, oh, we'll catch up when they're in their 20s. Like, well, now their mind's not ready for that anymore. Like now they're set in all these terrible (laughs) thoughts that they had as children that we never addressed. Right. Um, So, yeah, definitely value there. Right. I, I, and I've always told my children that they were, you know, because again, I believe, I believe, not believed, but I believe in children being able to express themselves and as long as it's done in the proper manner and raising my children, that was always my thing. You are always able to express yourself, to let me know what's going on, to, you know, what's happening with you as long as it's done in a respectful manner because mm-hmm. you have feelings too. You need to be her too. I'm an adult and the pressures are horrendous and I just want to scream, you know, some days. Why would I think that your world isn't just as horrendous as mine? Because you're 12. Are you kidding me? 12 year old, you know, 12 year old Shelly was devastated by a C. You know what I'm saying? Right. So It's a different type of devastation, but it's not a different feeling. Yeah. Well, and as a kid, I mean, you know, on the one hand, you have way less responsibilities. On the other hand, you also have way less control of everything that goes on around you, right? So you might be buttoned up and something can go wrong. And it's not, as an adult, you might be like, ah, I could have done that differently. Or next time I'll do that differently. But as a kid, might have nothing to do with what you're are or not doing right (laughs) Mm -hmm. those options aren't there absolutely and so you know again going back to what you to what you said you know all of their thoughts and things are being are being formed at that time so am i a person who's like all of your your problems you know relate back to your upbringing absolutely not i believe that for the most part most of us we did things with the experience and the knowledge you know that we had plain Mm -hmm. and simple and and there was no harm intended but because no one's perfect because life happens then Mm -hmm. there are things no matter what that as we get older when we tap into like why do i feel this way or you know why does this upset me all the time many times it can be rooted or taken back to something that happened Right. During that upbringing. Now, mom right. and dad, again, I'm not blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying 
that a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you entirely. So, and we've talked about this already to some extent, but I'm just, you know, earlier, like when we were talking about, like you were talking about coming to the place where you could forgive your father, right? Or in this conversation now, it there are things that people are affected by that are outside of their control. Mm-hmm. And they now have to carry that and figure out how to resolve or negotiate or whatever word you want to use yes. that. But where do you draw the, like, how, and I don't know that there's a perfect answer to this, to be clear, so I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but where do you draw the line between um, something that people are, are, you know, have with them that they didn't pick and that they can't, they're, they're not at, they're not at fault for, mm-hmm. and personal responsibility? Because I find mm-hmm. myself believing in both, and it seems like a, a hard line to figure out how to draw sometimes. You know, as far as our healing is concerned, really, in all honesty, the process is really the same. Mm. It's just that things that are not our fault, I, this is my personal belief, I am not a, um, a licensed therapist, but my personal belief is a lot of times when things are not our fault, we have a harder time um, resonating and putting those pieces together because mm. it makes sense when something is done that I'm at fault for because mm-hmm. I did it. But sometimes I can't reconcile the fact that this person was supposed to care about me or this was supposed to happen and something else took place. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a product of a verbally abusive relationship. And so me learning to forgive that person for what they did to me, for breaking me down, you know, and it, it has started turning physical. Um, uh, but thank goodness it was able to, to end before it got too, too crazy. But reconciling the fact that I love this person but I, I shouldn't love this person because this person did something to me or is, is there something wrong with me for loving this person? Or maybe it's just something wrong with me and they were right. And I'm just not a lovable person trying to put though, all of those things together was so much harder for me versus if I had gone out, you know, and done something to myself. Right. So the line, and again, I'm, I'm not a therapist, but the line for me, because of my experiences is so thin because I have to figure out in my forgiveness, am I able to forgive myself for something I for something I did? That's hard enough. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves for something we did. But now I have to try to reconcile something that I had nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. How do I forgive me for being there and, and, and me? How do I get my worth back? And then if I forgive you, then what is that saying about me? And that's why we need therapy, because we need to be able to understand how to bring those two things together. So, again, personally, I feel like when something is done to us, it's a harder road for me because I can't quite put those those two realities together. And at some point while trying to put them together, I'm tempted to blame myself and say, well, if I had did, well, now I should have done. And then this this repetitive cycle it starts all over again. Mm. Huh. Yeah, that's um, that. Yeah, that's that's all very powerful. Um, so you're 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 speaking, you're writing. 
are you still, do you still work with clients on a one-on-one basis? Can people still reach out and and work with you one-on-one? They do. I'm coming away from the one-on-one because Mm -hmm. my schedule is just, it's it's just becoming, you know, too busy for that. Every once in a while, I would do a one-on-one if someone is referred um, to me, but that's usually the one-on-ones now. You have to be referred Mm -hmm. by someone, but a lot of it is now group coaching and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and courses and things of that nature because I spend so much more time speaking. And so with the pandemic, uh, you know, or us coming out, we think. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whatever that but means. We, we think <laughs> there's more opportunities again to travel, you know, as there mm-hmm. once were. So uh, more traveling is coming, coming back into my schedule again. So, um, but I, I absolutely love working with clients one-on-one. My schedule just doesn't. <laughs> Sure. Well, and I mean, uh, and I don't, I don't mean to compare these as like either ors or, or superior and inferior, but there's also, uh, you know, one-on-one coaching is, can be very deep, but it's also a single individual. Whereas Mm -hmm. with the speaking engagements, with the books, with media appearances, like your potential to reach a much wider range of people. Yes. And, and, And that's my, my desire is to reach as, as many women, you know, as possible. So being able to to do group coaching where, you know, we can all come together. And not only that, I am the type of coach where I don't believe that I have all of the answers in the world. So in my group coaching sessions, yes, I am the one who who is helping you, directing you, giving you the tools that you need. But guess what? When you get to to know some of the other women, because I do my coaching in small groups, so it's kind of like we become a family. And when you get to know the other women, guess what? They have wisdom too. They have things they can offer too. And we begin to um, to sharpen one another. Yes, I'm the coach. Yes, I'm I'm helping you run the plays, but the team comes together. And it's a really, really beautiful experience. And so, um, like I said, moving more into the group coaching, I, I absolutely love that end too. But being able to do one-on-one really gave me an opportunity to get to know my clients in a way that group coaching sometimes doesn't allow. Right, right. Well, you know, a, a tiny piece of what you said, but it, it really resonated with me there is, is you said, well, as the coach, I don't always have all the answers. And certainly like you, you know, as you then went on to say, sometimes the other women in the group may, but I think that even beyond that, I think that a common misconception that people have, and I I put myself in this camp until I started going to a therapist and working with a coach is, is that people will think of the therapist or the coach as the person with the answers when really what I've found is that they're actually really the people who could help you find better questions, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I will tell you, one of my clients, she said one of the reasons that she loved being coached by me is because I know the questions that she didn't know she had mm-hmm. the answers to. Right. And that is what she loved about our coaching experience. She, you know, she says, I didn't know. And I told her, I said, oh, you knew. It's just I had to to get to where, you know, get get to that level. And she goes, Absolutely you know the answer, you know the questions to the answers that I didn't know that I had. And you put me on that path 
to discover those answers. And so I believe that as coaches and as therapists, I'm, I'm not a therapist, but I believe that as coaches, our job is to do just that, to coach you into you finding the answer. I believe that the answer is there. I believe that it's in you. I believe that you don't know how to navigate and get to it. And that's my job to help you get to it, navigate it, and now to use the proper tools for it to become beneficial for you. Yep. yep. No, that's awesome. So, you know, you talked about as, since a little girl, you journaled. And then um, with the 70 Days of Happy, you have a companion journal with that as well. Yes. Because so, I'm asking you those questions, Walker. There we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. So is it like each day there's like a, a journal yes. prompt corresponding with absolutely? The the so there are many people who who love just reading the book, but the people who've actually taken time to get the workbook that's connected to it, it has really opened up their lives to a completely new level of who they are because the coach in me, the speaker in me, because I've asked these questions to myself. Just reading the book is great, but if you really want another level of who you are and to understand who you are and to really be able to authentically stand in your purpose and your own happiness, then the journal and the journal slash workbook, some people call it a journal, some call it a workbook, but that's what's going to dig in there deeper. That's what's going to help you figure out, oh, I never did like lima beans. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I've been eating these lima beans all this time. (laughs) Now I'm going to ask for a raise. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I said that because, because one day I had to ask myself, you know, kids, especially when you're, when you're a mom and you're a stay at home mom, kids leave food all the time. And so you find yourself, you know, just eating what, what they left over. And I remember sitting back one day and I'm like, do I like Cheerios? <laughs> do I really like Cheerios? I have, I conditioned myself because I don't like for the kids to leave stuff. And so I'm like, oh, let me just, you know, eat this. Right. And so it was a valid question because I had to go and say, hmm, there are things in our lives that we condition ourselves to do and we become comfortable with those things. And we think that we enjoy or like those things. But when we really sit down and, and sit in our, in our ourselves and sit in a quiet space and really go back, is that something that you really, you know, like about you? Is that something that you really enjoy? Do you really like skiing or is it just that your family went every year and, and you learned how, but now right. that you're older, you're like, it's not the skiing that I really love. It was it was the snow. It was being out. So figuring out who we are and what and what we love, that's what this workbook does as well. But I, I like I said, I found it to be hysterical when I sat back and I was like, I don't even know if I like Cheerios, but I keep <laughs> eating them. <laughs> that's hilarious. Why? Why do I keep eating them? <laughs> so, and this is again kind of a probably just kind of a poor question to some extent, because there's so many possible answers. Uh, So again, I don't mean to, to, I don't mean for you to have to say the the one answer here, but you know, like in in my own journey of personal development, the thing that, that I found that was not the only, but one of the larger factors in that was holding me back was I had this really long running habit uh, of self-shaming. Right. Mm. And, And it took, it took, 
a lot of work to kind of understand. And I just thought that this was normal and that everyone is having this dialogue with themselves every day. And I should have realized that it wasn't effective because after years of it, change wasn't happening. So clearly it doesn't work. Right. But, but anyway, none of that was intuitive to me and, and it took me to, to get some help to kind of understand that. But so whether it be like self-shaming or worrying about things that, that are outside of our control, like, is there, is there, again, and I know there's a many answers, but is there a, a common theme or a common thread that you see that, that holds people back, you know, maybe more than something else? Does that make sense at all? Yeah. I th- and here's the thing. And again, this is not a blanket. Right. You right, know, right. Answer, That's, right. But here's the thing that I, that I find a lot of the time that what's holding us back is, and, and I know it sounds simple, but it's our confidence. Mm. It's our confidence and our fear to challenge the mindset. Mm. that we've become remember going back to the cheerios whether you like whether i liked it or not i became comfortable in it so i sat in it so what happens is what what i see in people that i work with because i see it because i saw i because i myself was in that same position so i recognize it it's we don't have the confidence to step out of the norm that that has become habitual in our life. And it doesn't matter if that norm is positive or negative. It's my norm. It's my comfort. And now I don't have the courage or the confidence to change that. Yep. You know, so that's a lot of what I see, yep. you know, as a as a purpose and confidence coach. Yeah. I see that a lot of it stems from we we don't speak right to ourselves. We don't tell ourselves who it is that that we that we want to see. We tell ourselves our reality. And a lot of times our reality doesn't match up to the person that we've been called to. But it's more comfortable to just believe the reality because that's what we know than to believe something that's greater because I'm afraid that I'll never reach it or um, it's not going to come true. It's not for me. So we talk ourselves out of that confidence and that courage. Yeah, no, I think that makes a, a ton of sense. Um, fear is something that I've thought about a lot in the last probably year or two. And I mean, <laughs> rightfully so with the pandemic, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it's just, it's it's shocking how, I, I, again, I don't really, necessarily, I, I'm sure there are, to, there are examples where fear is useful, right? Like it helps someone get away from something oh. that's otherwise damaging. Oh, so- absolutely. Fear, fear is, is a, a two-sided, you know, tool. So mm-hmm. fear works in, in a multiple um, way. Fear is good. Fear stops you from jumping off of a building because you're <laughs> afraid <laughs> that this is not going to go well. Right. That's wonderful. You need that. But fear also, if it's improper, you know, if it's um improperly balanced, then what it does is it closes us to the possibility, to the greatness, to who it is that we're supposed to be. It stops it stops us from any type of um, good risk because risk is two sided as well. There's mm-hmm. some great risk out there, and then there's some risk that you go, oh no, I shouldn't do that one. Right. So our job, which is what's so difficult, is to be able to define what is the fear, because there is a healthy fear Mm. and then there is a destructive fear. Which fear are we working with? And a lot of times because we can't 
we don't know the difference between those two. We pretty much 85% of the time, <laughs> we're going to, because the other side is too uncomfortable and unfamiliar, we're going to lean on the side that's not constructive. Right, right. And we're going to yeah. allow fear to just stop us from pursuing things. We're going to allow it to stop us from being great. We're going to stay in the in, in the destruction, you know, because that's what's comfortable. That's what we know versus the fear to move into our better and our great. Right. Right. Well, and this, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where there's, there's nuance to all of this, right? Like it's not just binary, but, but I, and I do agree with you though. I, I think that, that, yeah, that fear largely um, is, is something that, that, that holds people back. And it's so interesting to hear you talk about the, 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 the idea of what's most comfortable because what's, what's also fascinating is that like someone can be in a situation that's not something that, that they actually like or enjoy or are happy with, but they are comfortable in it, except that like, I, 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 they're not really. Right? Yeah, like it's like, here's the thing. Cause I know exactly where yeah. you're going with this. And here's the thing. It's not that they like the situation because I right. never want people to think, Oh, I, I like destruction. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. That's not it. It's not that we like being there. What it is, is I'm more comfortable for lack of better word with mm -hmm. the chaos that I know right than the unfamiliar that I don't so right. I understand this particular chaos I've had people ask me more than once you know why did it take so long to leave to leave that abusive relationship well we'll start with, with you know the first thing I I was mentally groomed to you know to stay there but even when I finally said okay something something's not here secondly this um at that time we weren't talking about verbal abuse so and emotional abuse so i had no idea that i was even in you know an abusive relationship mm -hmm. it didn't click that it was an, an abusive relationship until he started pushing and shoving me but even at that point i still didn't just walk away right. so yes i was in destruction i was emotionally in destruction no i didn't want to be there but there was there was an emotion, there was a love, and there was a familiarity mm -hmm. that was in that relationship that I had to detach myself from so that I would have the confidence mm. to walk in the unfamiliar that I was scared of. Right. As much as being in that particular relationship was, was scary and, and crazy and you didn't know, you know, um what what his what his mood was going to be as crazy as that was, it was still the crazy I knew. Right. And that I thought I could handle versus me stepping out without this person and not knowing, Oh, well, if I go out, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm not this person. Maybe I, you know, maybe I won't ever have anything in life. You're the crazy I know. And so what happens is we become again, quote, quote, comfortable for lack of better word in the chaos that we're familiar with versus yep. what we don't know. It makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Well, Shelly, I, I got to tell you, I'm truly humbled to have the opportunity to, to have you on the show this evening. Um, and I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. You have a website, ShellyMache.com. Yes. I will have a link to that directly in the show notes so people can just click right on it um, or they can pick up the books. Is there anywhere else that you'd like me to direct people to connect with you at? You know, Walker, I just started TikTok. Y'all come on over to TikTok and follow me. <laughs> okay. I want to give your girl some love. <laughs> and, you know, on my website, you can you can download my free gift, which is five daily happiness habits um, as a as a certified life purpose coach, people, they ask me sometimes, well, Shelly, you're a purpose success coach. What does that have to do with five daily happiness habits? And again, because sometimes we don't connect those things and I let them know, are you going to pursue success? Are you going to pursue your purpose? Are you going to pursue who God has called you to be and you're unhappy? How many people do you know pursue anything that's right. great, including ourselves, and you have no sense of happiness. Before you can ever walk in purpose, success, and confidence, you have to find your own happy. Mm-hmm. So for all of those out there, I want to offer you my free gift of my ebook, $47 value free on my website, Five Daily Happiness Habits, so that you can begin walking in authentic happiness. And so you can stop eating them Cheerios if you don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, Shelly, I I really, again, I'm I'm really grateful for your time and I'm really excited that you're, you're doing the work that you are and you're helping people in the way that you are because it's a a beautiful thing. And and I'm, I'm so excited to be able to help share your message. So much. This has been amazing. You are awesome. Thank you so much for having me. i
Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Shelly for stopping by and sharing her walk of life. I also want to thank Misha's errands for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of these are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up. <laughs>